Lord Jesus, thank you so much for giving us everything that you have. Thank you for this month where we are reminded frequently of how thankful we should be for the things that you've offered us and sometimes we don't take. Lord, we really just ask that we're all here to receive what God wants us to today and to have from him what he feels like we need. Lord, we want to open our hearts to that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being in our lives. We ask all these things in your holy name. Amen. If you were to remain standing for just another minute, we'll do the scripture reading, which is Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. A few years back, there was a TV show on called Desperate Housewives. It was basically a show of all the things you can possibly do wrong in a relationship. And it went for six or so dreadful seasons, thinking up new ways to destroy relationships. And uh, <clears throat> so my sermon series for the next few weeks is a kind of a takeoff from that, because what I have come to understand is that we have a bunch of desperate households. And uh, things aren't always the way they seem. We can keep a good veneer cover kind of looking at our marriage from the outside. But what's happening inside is driving people uh, crazy, is hurting relationships. And so today, we're going to begin a new series that is not a TV show. It is not constant forever honeymoons. And is it? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Our culture is facing a relationship crisis, and we don't know how to do relationships well. On the subject, as important as this, I always want to check with a few of my favorite theologians and uh, kind of see what they have to say. And I have the first slide here of a husband and wife in bed. One's reading psychology, the other one's reading reverse psychology. Or you've got Arlo and Janice, and they are uh, there, and Arlo says, uh, hey, give me a hug. Sorry, uh, I'm all out. Well, I could give you one of mine, and you could pay me back later with interest. Oh, I prefer passion, but whatever. 
And you know, our marriage problems didn't just start in the recent history. This has actually gone back quite a ways. In fact, I've got an article out of the uh, Hebrew Gazette um, back in Abraham's day. And it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed and he went out not knowing where he was going. And we have Sarah on the camel with Abraham and said, can't we just ask for directions? I know it's around here somewhere, Abraham says. But it actually goes back even farther than that. We have God talking with a couple of the angels of the creation of the earth. And uh, God asks, well, I wonder how Adam and Eve are getting along. It doesn't appear all that well. And in Parade Magazine, a little while back, there was an article uh, that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, was sharing some thoughts. And I want to share a couple thoughts out of that. He says, I want to get married. I want to have children. I absolutely believe in marriage. And he concluded his interview by saying, what I want is to be known as someone who stood for something. And the discussion was around that issue of marriage and relationships. And I think we all go into marriage with that idea, is that we want this to work. We want to defy the odds. I have yet to marry a couple that has come to me and said, well, you know, for as long as it works, can you marry us? Uh, they all come in idealistic that something is going to happen in this relationship that's going to defy all the odds. And things aren't always as they seem. If you can start a day without caffeine, if you can always be cheerful, ignoring the pains and aches, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, If you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, and this one's a tough one, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without adult beverages, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you're probably the family dog, and that's kind of like Ziggy in his dream. Things aren't always the way they appear. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 says in the Phillips translation, Live together in harmony and love, as though you had only one mind and one spirit between you. You see, God's ideal for our relationships, married or not, and this, what we're sharing here in the next few weeks, really have uh, uh, transferable concepts for any relationship you might be in. But God's ideal for relationships is harmony, intimacy, and love. Unity, one-mindedness. But many of our relationships are disharmony. Many of our relationships are conflicted and disappointments at best. And people, we can put Ziggy away. And people say, I feel cheated by uh, my marriage and by my friendships. One guy said, when I got married, I had this ideal. And then it became an ordeal. Now, frankly, it's a raw deal, and I want a new deal. Even kids are weighing in on love nowadays. A group of elementary school children were asked uh, the question, what does love mean? And one boy, um, uh, age five, said, 
Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. <laughs> Tommy, age six, says, Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. I thought that was precious. Desperate households. What's happening? Well, good marriages don't just happen. It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes investment of time and work. Paul says in Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And as we begin this series, I've got some good news for us. The good news is you don't have to change your life completely in order to have a better marriage. The reality is minor differences, just starting, investing something will change your relationship. All you have to do is get started. And today I want to explore four C's for those of you that are desperate for a good marriage. And no, they aren't criticism, crazy, condescending, or complaining. I have four other C's in mind. In these four areas that we'll look out and you look at, and you have outlines in your worship flyer, if that's helpful, we'll also do some evaluation. There's a continuum under each one of the C's from 1 till 10, and I'll explain each one of those as we go along, but be prepared to do a little self-evaluation where you're open to God and realizing maybe some areas that you need growth. Evaluation is something we do all the time. At work, we have job performance reviews. At school, we have report cards or special testing periods. Our doctor or dentist does regular checkups. And our marriages need regular testing and checkups as well. How is my marriage? How am I doing in my marriage? So, the first C is communication. So let's check out a couple of theologians again here. Uh, We first of all have Lockhorns again. And he's reading a book on how to be a better husband, and she says, would you please put that down and listen to me? Or we've got the next couple in their marriage therapist's office, and it's, uh, he says, he never listens to me anymore. I wonder what her first clue was. And then the Lockhorns again that say, boy, those were some great special effects. The husband actually looked like he was listening to his wife in an age of special effects. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 17, reliable communication permits progress. For progress or growth to take place, you must communicate with one another. But the average couple only spends 4.8 minutes per day in quality communication. 4.8 minutes. Do you realize that a couple, both the husband and the wife uh, put together, uh, spend 46 hours in front of a television set and only 28 minutes in quality communication per week? A relationship can't grow without talking and without listening. You need to know that male and female communication patterns are different. They communicate differently to one another. And if you don't realize that, You haven't been married very long. You're still on your honeymoon. In fact, this one lady who was going before the judge to secure a divorce went to the judge and told him, I want to divorce my husband. And the judge said, do you have any grounds? She says, no, but we do own a half acre up at Lake Cushman. The judge said, no, I mean, do you have a grudge? 
She says, no, we parked the car out in front of the house. And the judge says, does your husband beat you up? And she says, no, no, I usually get up before he does. Frustrated, the judge says, why do you want a divorce? And she said, we just aren't able to communicate. Communication can be difficult. It's a skill that needs to be learned and honed over time. You expect your mate to think like you do, but they don't. Think of what you think, then think of the opposite, and that's what they're thinking. We have uh, one more PowerPoint here. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. Some of you have been in that conversation before, I can tell. So on your outline, under communication, you've got a continuum from 1 to 10. Put a 1 if we never seem to understand and be able to communicate to each other. Put a 5 if, well, sometimes we're on the same wavelength when we talk to each other. And put a 10 if we schedule regular times to talk with each other and really work at our relationship. Okay? Number two. The second C is consideration. And let's do a brief theologian check again here. We've got pickles. They say that the best kind of friend is the one you can sit on the porch with, never say a word, and then walk away feeling like it was a good conversation, the best you've ever had. Well, thank you, Opal. That's a nice compliment. Oh, sorry, I was referring to Muffin. (laughs) Seems like the dogs have got this down. And then the second one, I'm trying to write an apology, but first I need to find a font that looks sincere and humble with a strong undertone of defiance. (laughs) Or there's the five marital stages of the common cold. The first year, oh, baby darling, I'm so worried about that sniffle that you've got. I've called the paramedics to rush you over to the hospital for a checkup and for a week of rest. And I know you don't like hospital food, so I'm going to have Anthony's bus in the food for you. Second year, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Johnson to make a house call. Here, let me tuck you in bed. Third year, oh, you look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to the Metastop and stop and get some medicine? I'll watch the kids for you. Fourth year, Look, be sensible. After you've fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you really ought to go to bed. Fifth year, for Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? I can't hear the television. Would you mind going in the other room while this show is on? You sound like a barking dog. Ouch. But some of us have been there, maybe are there, experiencing the deterioration of communication in our relationship. It's not what it used to be. A man has said that in the first year, his wife used to go and get his slippers and bring them to him, and the dog came barking. Uh, Now the dog brings the slippers, and, well, you can finish it. (laughs) James chapter 3, verse 17 says, Wisdom shows itself in being considerate. Second C, considerate. Being considerate of one another. I saw a bumper sticker on a BMW. It says, I'm not spoiled, just well taken care of. Are you well taken care of? Do you feel that your mate 
is spending time, investing time in you. So I want you to take a moment to evaluate. How considerate are you? Put a one if you're considerate when you're in a good mood and feel like it. Put a five if you can help uh, your mate whenever they ask. Or put a ten if I look for ways to lighten my mate's load and to tell her that I love her. Rebecca, age eight, when asked the question about what does love mean, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands have arthritis. That's love. That's being considerate. Third one. The third one is commitment. Malachi 2.16 God's word says, I hate divorce. Make sure that you do not break your promise to be faithful to your mate. Time magazine had a cover story a couple of years back with a bride and groom doll on top of the cake as a cake topper and and had twine all tied around them. And the headline of the magazine was For Better or Worse, and the subtitle was The Growing Movement to Strengthen Marriage and to Prevent Divorce. Why a major magazine spending time talking about marriage? Do you realize that back in the 40s and 50s, post-World War II, we were the marryingest country in the world? Everybody seemed to get married. And now, 50 years later, that's no longer what we're known for. We now are the country that leads the world in the most divorces and the most unwed mothers. What has happened to our desperate families? our desperate households. The deterioration of the American family is because the baby boomers basically had this philosophy. I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to do what's best for me. Folks, that's called selfishness. Selfishness. Jesus said, lose your life in order to find it. Give your life away and you will receive. You'll find purpose and meaning and significance. We've got to do what God says is best. And God says, keep your commitments to one another. You will never have a great marriage unless you throw out the divorce option. It must be completely out of your mind. In our culture, however, it seems easier to walk out than to grow up. It seems easier to run than to rebuild and restore. Marriage is hard work, but it's worth it, and it's far better than the alternatives. Folks, we need to grow up. We need to stop being selfish. We need to think of the other person before ourselves. We need to learn to compromise. We need to learn to be considerate and thoughtful. We need to keep our commitments. Divorce is not an option. You did not make a promise to a pastor. You said to God, till death do us part. And we don't know what commitment means. We have this kind of Dixie cup mentality. You take one, you use it, and you throw it out. And we're too often treating our relationships the same way. Commitment means being willing to be unhappy until we work it through. That may take a while. 
It may take some work. But God will be with you. And commitment means that I'm going to stay with you as long as it takes because that's the commitment I made to you and to God. And regardless of what you choose to do, I'm going to be committed. Our marriage is what we make it to be. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's not even greener on our side of the fence. It's greener where you water it, where you fertilize it, where you cultivate it, where you reach down and you pull out those weeds by the roots, the weeds of discontent, the weeds of distraction, the weeds of me first. Do you want to change your mate? You can. All you've got to do is change yourself. If you change yourself and your patterns and your habits to honor and respect the other person, you will find that they will change as well. So let's evaluate. Commitment. If you're toying with leaving your marriage, put down a one. If you're using divorce as a threat in your marriage relationship, put down a two. If you're trying and willing to get help, put down a five. If divorce isn't an option, regardless of what your mate does, and you're going to stay in the relationship, put down a ten. Number four, the fourth C. And probably if I was to ask you to give what you thought the fourth C would be, you might not ever come up with this one, unless you were here for the first service. And that is, the fourth C is Christ. Christ. You need Christ to give you the power to do these things. Christ gives you the power and the ability to change when human love, when our own human efforts wear out, get weary, are tired. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 It says, your attitude towards each other should be the same one shown by Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, it says, it is God who works in you to will and to act, both to get the idea and have the attitude, as well as to carry it out in action. It's God who works in you according to His good purpose. The attitude of Christ. I very often, when I talked about relationships and marriage counseling or in, uh, in youth ministry, would use the analogy of a triangle, and we'd put God at the top of the triangle. You'd put you on one corner and whoever the other person was you were in relationship to on the other corner. And one of the interesting things that is that if you give your life over to God and as you grow closer to God, you also grow closer to each other. Christ gives us the power to be able to do that. The Scriptures are full of texts and passages about relationship and how to do relationships properly and how we do them improperly. When you move towards Christ, you move towards one another. And the greatest thing that you can do for your relationships is to put Christ right in the center. That Christ is always your first consideration in your relationship. How do you do that? How do you put Christ in the center? First of all, you invite him into your life. Jesus, come in and be the Lord and Savior of my life. 
you become a Christian, a Christ follower, one who puts Christ on the throne of their life. The second thing is to pray, Christ, we want to commit our marriage to you, to treat each other the way Jesus treats us. Remember when Ann read that passage from Ephesians 5? Submit and love. The two words used there for the husband-wife relationship. Modeled by Christ who submitted himself to death on a cross, which we will celebrate in the Lord's Supper in a moment. He was willing to become a servant. And he was willing to love no matter what. Even when the tides turned against him, he still had compassion and love. Thirdly, be an active part of a church that builds strong Christians and strong Christian relationships, strong marriages. And fourthly, read God's love letter, His Word, the Bible, the Scriptures. Read God's love letter together with one another. Discuss it. Pray together. Talk with God together. Okay, let's evaluate. If Christ has no place in your life, in your marriage, put a one. If you attend church together and try to practice your faith together, put a five. If you've committed your marriage to Christ and you're praying together, studying His Word together, and learning how to be healthier in your marriage relationship, put a 10. I used to have a picture of two ostriches Obviously, Mr. and Mrs., and Mr. has his head stuck in the sand. And for too many of us, that's where we're at. We're in a state of denial. Things are not going well, but we have our head in the sand. And so I challenge you to invite Christ into your life. I invite you to invite Christ into your marriage and into your relationships and see the difference that God can make. Pray for God to give you the power to work these things through so that you will have the marriage that God would like you to. Let's pray. God, every home needs improvement. And I just pray for each husband and each wife. I pray for each relationship that they will allow you to be in the center as you desire to be because you've wanted this to be a wonderful relationship. Lord, as we give our lives to you, express in our tithes and our offerings and our commitments to you, and as we come to your table and celebrate the sacrifice you were for us, may we renew ourselves in relationship to you and to one another. We pray this in your name. Amen.